Uh, let's just pray as we get into the word this morning. Father, we just thank you for your word. I pray, Father, especially at this time of year, Lord, where there's so many Christmas shows and programs and uh, films about you, Father, films about Jesus. And I just pray, Lord, that people would be sensitive to your voice, that they would know your love for them, your care for them, that you delight, Lord, in them as believers. And Lord, for the world that doesn't know you, I pray that this year they would come to know you, that in some way each one of us will be a witness for you, in word, in deed, in character, Lord. Father, we pray for the word this morning. Pray, Father, that we would hear your voice in it, that we would learn, we would grow. Lord, we would just be able to reflect you and know you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, well, if you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, Daniel and chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And we're going to look at the story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Okay? To see what wisdom is there that we can gain from these guys, from what they went through and how we can learn from that. And so much of history is a learning lesson, not just biblical history, but history. So much of it is a learning lesson and the biggest danger is when we forget history, when we wipe it out. And it's important that we remember history. Now over the last year, there have been some wonderful times, no doubt, in each one of our lives, some good times that you can think about and enjoy and everything else. But equally, for all of us, over the last year, there's probably been some really difficult times. Uh, globally, when you look at things, uh, international relationships, they are saying that globally, they are the worst they have ever been right now. Globally, they're the worst that they've ever been right now. And when you read the word, we know that it says in the end times there'll be wars and rumours of wars and so on and so forth. Okay, so when you look at that, it's very unsettling. There's no stability. We've been hit, uh, uh, international relationships with, with, have been hit by a new low. Stability in the world of finance is at an all-time low worldwide, stability in finance. We've witnessed the invasion by Russia into the Ukraine, leading to thousands of deaths and millions of people now becoming refugees and trying to escape the conflict. Global catastrophes, the natural world, fires, famines, floods, earthquakes, there's more now than have ever been recorded. It's at an all-time high, not to mention uh, COVID and all what that's done. And then apart from all that, we've got the home front. That's just internationally. Then on the home front, there's been major choices that people have had to make this year. Do I eat or do I heat the house? Do I have something to eat or do I heat the house? You know, that's the, the place that so many families are at at the moment. This year has been widespread uncertainty. From the death of our godly queen that has brought stability for decades to this nation, 
and losing the Queen to then having three Prime Ministers in three months. It's just unprecedented, the season that we're living in. And we've got to be conscious of it. And we, we don't want to become fretful, but we want to become equipped. Illegal immigration is spiralling out of control. The NHS is at breaking point, and for the first time ever, strikes in the NHS. And we can understand why this is happening. We recently saw how in this country, through the new census, Christianity has for the first time become a minority in this nation. Would you ever have imagined such a thing? When you look at it, you condense it down. It's the world we're living in is very unfamiliar to Christians. We're in the world, but we certainly aren't of it. When you look at the cancel culture that we're, is, is rampant now, when we look at the public, the way people are publicly humiliated and stuff like that, even, even stuff whether you are a boy or not, but this public display of family fallout with the royals and tit for tat, you would never in a million years dream of such things. We also have things like, it's no longer the truth, it's my truth. Okay, so I can stand here and say, the truth, my jumper's blue. That's the truth, the standard truth, okay? But then I can move into my truth and say, well, you see, my truth is different because I like to refer to my blue as yellow. And to you it might look blue, but my truth is my jumper's yellow and you cannot oppose my truth because if you oppose my truth, you're abusing me and you're, you're putting me in a prison and I can't... What a load of old rubbish. Now, come on. It's nonsense, some of this stuff that's going on. So the world we live in is so contrary. And there's things we need to pray about and push in on. This year, you know, worst of all, England didn't make the World Cup final. And we get promised every time it's coming home, it comes home and then it bounces off again. Off the crossbar normally. But in this case, with Harry Kane, it was off the planet. <laughs> but the world we live in, we as well have had our own lives to deal with. That's all the external stuff outside of our front door in many ways. But then there's the stuff that affects us personally. Times of depression, heartache, ill health, changes in our circumstances. Even for us as a family this year, Kamikaze Marla. You know, at the beginning of the year, she decides to do wheelies down the road and bashes all her face up and black eyes and breaks her arm and everything else. The second half of the year, she has to have major brain surgery and uh, now she's nicknamed herself the Bride of Frankenstein. I know. But that's the pressures that can be going on in our lives and they can so easily distract us, just like Joe is doing that. <laughs> but these things can distract us and they can take our attention away from God and put our attention on ourselves and fearful of what's happening in and around the world. And that becomes the decision maker. 
You know, we, we gauge what decisions we make by what's going on around us. But really, the decision maker is God. There's so many areas that, where we can step back. People get offended so easily these days. Honestly, so people are so touchy, they're so offended, you know? Honestly, you don't know what to do anymore. If I'm at a supermarket and I open the door, you know, if I was to open the door for somebody, or, or say I just walk through and I don't open the door, the person behind might be offended. Well, it's quite rude, you didn't open the door for me, how selfish. If I do open the door for them, that woman could look at me and say, equality, I can hold my own door, don't need you to do it. Do you know what I mean? You don't know what literally to do sometimes. It becomes so messed up. And we don't know how to act. And that's where we must let Christ in us, the hope of glory, shine. What would Jesus do? What does the Holy Spirit lead us to do in such perilous times, in difficulties? So Daniel is a great example of somebody who lived in a Babylonian empire, a Persian empire as well, a Mede empire, and yet he never compromised himself. Yet he had so many influences around him, left, right and centre. And not only him, but his friends as well. So Daniel 3 verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold six, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. So that's in modern day, that's 90 foot high and uh, 9 foot wide. And he set it on the plain of Dura in the presence of, uh, province of Babylon. Then he summoned the satraps the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So all the provinces' officials assembled for the dedication of the image that the king had set up, and they stood before it. Now, this was a man-made god which is no God at all, you know? It's a man-made God. It's no God at all. And really, Nebuchadnezzar, the statue of himself, was to promote himself. And often in humanity, humanity has a way of bringing in false gods. And scripture teaches in the end times, man will become demigods. In other words, we'll reject God and we will set the new bar, the new standard will be set by ourselves as what is right and what is wrong, what is sin and what isn't sin. And that will be set by man itself. It's already happened. It's been happening for years. You know? Man has become demigods. We've become gods of ourselves. It's not the truth, it's my truth. What I decide, that's the truth. It's my right, it's my opinion, it's my truth, it's my expression, it's my, 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 me, me, me. And we've become gods unto ourselves in society. But this desire to be our own god, you can see with Nebuchadnezzar. There's no longer objective truth, objective right and wrong. It's just what I decide is the truth. Well, the problem is, 
your truth and my truth are very different. You know? Or there's the truth. When I've done marriage counselling with Mara before in the past, and you've got couples have fallen out over whatever it is, I'd always say to them, I'm not on your side, I'm not on your side, I'm on his side. That's who I want to bring in to the marriage. Not your side, not your side, but his side. Why? Because he created it. So he knows what it's meant to be. Amen? So verse 4, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, sometimes we get very confused about worship because we tend to think generally worship is Hallelujah. You know, singing in church, and that's worship. That's a little bit of worship. You've got the saying of this, oh, she worships the ground he walks on. You know, that's to elevate somebody, that's to hold somebody up really high, that's so on and so forth. And you can turn around and say, oh, he, he worships, the worships the ground she walks on. But... Worship isn't just about putting our hands in the air and singing. Worship is so much more than that. Now, one of the things Satan wanted was the ability, he encouraged people to, uh, to Jesus, when he, uh, uh, the temptation, what did he want? He wanted, his main ambition was to have God's creation, mankind, worship him. That's what Satan wanted. He wanted God's creation to worship him. That means to put him first. That's what worship is. Worship is to esteem someone or something higher than yourself. It's to give them worship, to give them your devotion. See, and Satan wanted to be number one. And so when he tempts Jesus in Matthew 4 verse 8, it says the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in all their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Isn't it amazing? The pinnacle of what Satan wants is worship. See, often we think about the Antichrist, but as Paul said, many Antichrists have come. We think of the Antichrist as a personality, and there is such a person called the Antichrist. But Antichrist, anti in the Greek, means instead of, it's to replace. It's not against, we think it's against, but it's not, it's the replacement of. And we live in an Antichrist society where we are replacing God, we're replacing Jesus with all these other things, and that is an Antichrist. Spirit. 
which desires to replace Christ. Let's take Jesus out of the schools. Let's take Bibles out of the hotel rooms. Let's remove from society God himself. And the removal, that is the anti. And it's anti-Christ. And we know that's going to happen. It's no shock to the believer. We know Paul has warned us. He said there are many antichrists that have come. But Jesus turns around and he says to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Amen? Now, I love it where Jesus doesn't get caught up in a conversation. And he doesn't get caught up in condemnation, saying, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have listened to the enemy, I, I shouldn't have heard Satan's voice, or, you know, and condemn himself. He just deals with the facts. He doesn't get into a, a, a witch hunt as to why the, he just does what the word of God says to do. And he rebukes him and he says, it is written, law, fact, this is it. And he rebukes Satan, and Satan leaves him. Verse 8. At this time, astrologers came forward to denounce the Jews. Okay? Now that puzzled me. I thought, why would the, what a problem have the astrologers got with the Jews? Well, these astrologers from southern Babylon had obviously had political motivation against the Jews, because the Jews were being promoted into high office alongside Daniel. And it's recorded in the previous chapter that none of the astrologers or wise men or any of them could tell Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now, Daniel did. So they had it in for Daniel. So the astrologers wanted to do away with Daniel because Daniel had the answer to the dream. But they're so thick. Sorry. Because Nebuchadnezzar said every astrologer and wise man in the land was going to be chopped up into pieces and chucked into the furnace if they couldn't find anyone to interpret the dream. No one could be found apart from Daniel. Daniel interprets the dream so Nebuchadnezzar doesn't kill all of these people. And the astrologers actually survived because of Daniel, you know? And so often in life you can face situations, you think, man alive, you don't know the battle I've been fighting behind your back and you're having a go at me when I've been fighting on your behalf in the background. And sometimes you can experience that in life. Now the astrologers were, these were, interpreting the stars. So they were looking at the alignment of the stars and said, well, this star's there and that planet's there and this one's over here. And that, because they're in that alignment or in that order, this means X, Y, and Z. And you can look into this and you will find people born in different points of the year, might be Pisces or Jenna, uh, whatever they are. I don't even know what they are. Uh, Libra, uh, Pisces, or whatever... Yeah, all of these. And if you're born in a certain thing, well, that determines your character. And that determines this, that, and the other. And you can see your future, so on and so forth. Now, it's a load of old rubbish. Trust me. It's rubbish. It's complete 
nonsense. Because the moon doesn't spin round, that means I'm going to have a bad day. Really? Okay then. Well, I have a bad day no matter what the moon's doing, actually. But nonetheless, this is a false belief and the royal astrologers would read the stars and they would predict the future. But God's prophet, Daniel, was powerful and he interpreted interprets all the various dreams, which the astrologers could not do. And not only did he interpret the dream, Nebuchadnezzar says, right, you think you're smart, as this one then, you've been able to interpret my dream and tell me what, this, that and the other. Now this time I'm going to turn the gas up a bit. What was my dream? I'm not going to tell you. You tell me what it was. Huh? And they couldn't. But Daniel could. Isaiah says, divination and these things and reading the stars are forbidden in all of Israel and they're forbidden for God's children. They are attached to the occult and the world of the occult and as a believer we do not yield or submit to such things because they're false. And you can often find the demonic realm will attach themselves in the occult, in occult practices of divination and telling the future and reading your stars and everything else. My mum, before she was a Christian, used to have her tea leaves read. And she would go regularly to have her tea leaves read and make the tea, drink some of it, leave enough to be able to see the tea leaves at the bottom. And the woman used to tell her what was going to happen. And you know what? The woman was right every time. And it wasn't the woman's knowledge, it was demonic. But then, the last time my mum went, she went and the woman read her everything, but then suddenly the woman dropped the cup on the floor and said, oh, I can't see anymore, there's too much sugar in your tea. My mum didn't have sugar in her tea. She was talking uh, about what she saw and she said, oh, there's too much sugar in your tea and she dropped the cup. My mum thought she was going to die. She thought, she thought that was it. And for three weeks up into the future, she couldn't see anything. She just said, there's too much sugar in your tea, drop the cup. Three weeks later, my mum got saved in Gravesend Baptist Church. To the day, hallelujah, praise God. Verse 9, then they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. It's so funny, you see that so often when people are going to be killed or they're worried, or they want something. All of a the sudden, they always say, oh, may the king live forever. And then they ask the questions, like me saying to Mara, oh, Mara, may you live forever. And what's for dinner tonight? <laughs> you know? But may the king live forever, so they're creeping. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing fire. So what they're doing, they're setting the king up. They know the Jews will not bow down and worship. So they've gone to Nebuchadnezzar and said, oh, we just want to remind you, a wonderful, best-looking king in all the world with the best hat on. Don't forget you said this decree. And they're setting up the king that is bound by the own the decree that he has actually set. That whoever did not bow down and worship will be thrown into the fire, the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews that you have set 
over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to your majesty. Neither do they serve your gods, nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king was furious because his own authority was being challenged. It was being challenged by the Babylonians themselves. They were saying, well, you made the law, you've got to uphold the law. And it was being challenged because the Jews would not bow down and worship. And sometimes us Christians need to stand up for Christianity. Stand up for Jesus. Have the guts to go with our conviction. Swim the opposite way up the river to what everybody else is swimming. Sometimes you've got to stand up and be counted. Now your flag to the mast and pull it up. Are you a Christian or are you not? Is Jesus Lord or is he not? Why do we have to bow down to various things that we don't believe in at all? And we've got to do this with wisdom. It's not no good just shouting off like an annoyed mouse. It's no good. We've got to be wise and we've got to know our word and we've got to, you know, even with government, I've challenged government ministers with the word of God. And I've said to them, do you know that the Magna Carta which is the foundation of all law in the UK. And I've said this to MPs, the Magna Carta is the foundation of all laws in the UK. Yes. They'd say, yes, yes, of course it is. I said, would you realise the first, number one, the very first point of the Magna Carta is what? And they don't know. Shall I tell you what the first clause is in the Magna Carta? The guaranteed freedom of the church in England. That's the very first point of the Magna Carta. And off of the Magna Carta, all our laws are built off. The American Declaration of Independence is also built off of the British Magna Carta. So when they come along and say, well, you know, we've got to do this, we've got to do that, hang on a minute, you swore an oath to uphold the Magna Carta. And in the Magna Carta, it says the guaranteed freedom of the church in England. So we will not be shutting our doors and we will not be singing songs that we don't believe in and we will not be performing different ceremonies that are unbiblical. Next. Amen. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Why? Because they were guilty. Yes, it's true, we won't bow down and we won't step back and we won't give in and we won't worship the foreign gods and we're not going to compromise. Christmas is for Jesus. A celebration of his birth. Hallelujah. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your hands, uh, from your majesty's, majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods, nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Isn't that fantastic? These men are no compromise at all. Last week we were talking about grey. This week 
black and white. There's no grey matter on this. And they're saying, look, our God is capable of saving us, but even if he doesn't, we still ain't going to move. He's saying, my God is able to change my financial situation, but even if he doesn't, I'm not going to give in. My God is able to heal me from my arthritis, but even if he doesn't, I'm not giving in. My God is able to restore the relationships in my family, but even if that doesn't happen, he is no less God. Amen? And so often we make him a lesser God when he doesn't do what we want. We're like children. We are like children. When children want something, what do they do? They butter up mummy and daddy. Especially one called Caleb. And he's not here. And Caleb had come in from work. He hadn't even got to open his mouth. I know the days he wants something. They come in again. You right, pup? You right, pup? You okay? How's your day been? I just cut to the... What do you want? Just tell me. It'll save oxygen and time, Caleb. Well, actually, I think there's something wrong with my car. Well, actually, could you transfer 30 quid into my... Well, actually, could my girlfriend Abby come over for dinner tonight? Well, actually, could... You know? And that's what he does. Why? Because he's human. But we do it with the Lord. When God is blessing us and he's doing things right that we want him to do, it's, oh, oh Lord, it'd be great if you give me this, that, and that. But when he doesn't respond and he doesn't, we back off. Paul said we are not those who back, back down or back off. But we back off. God hasn't done it to me. I've got the ump with him now. God, go and sit on the naughty step. Yep, that step. It's next to Pluto somewhere in the universe. I'm not talking to you. And we turn our back and we get frustrated. Oh, but what about when we were in the conference? Hallelujah, Jesus is wonderful. But our love can be conditional sometimes to God. But Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, unconditional love to God. That really hit me. There, we always talk about God's unconditional love to us. But what about our unconditional love to God? When Myra was diagnosed with this, that brain tumour, I had to sit there and talk to the Lord and say, Lord, are you taking her home? That's how real it was. That's how dangerous it was. And I had to sit there and say, Lord, I don't want you to take her home. I don't want her to go yet. I want her to stay with me. But if you have decided to take her home, I yield. Could I know to be present with the Lord is to be home. And that's her eternal home. Maybe she's just going to jump the queue for by a few years, but what's that in eternity? And I had to go through this. Will you still worship me even if you don't get what you want? It's tough, it's hard. See, we want God to love us unconditionally, but we love him conditionally. My dad was the same after my mum died. And my dad, I was talking about church, and he said, no, no, I'm not going to church anymore. I said, why not? He said, no, I'm upset with him. What? What do you mean you're upset? Well, he took your mother. I said, what's the matter with you took your mother? What are you talking? Yeah, he could have saved her and he didn't. I said, well, look, let me give you a bit of a wake-up call, Dad. None of us had the faith that she was going to make it through. None of us had the faith. I said she was diagnosed with bowel cancer, she came through that, then she was diagnosed with a brain tumour. And the words out of your own mouth, Dad, when you told me, was, it will kill her. I don't know when, 
but this will kill her. And do you know what, Dad? It did. And we all prepared for her to go. It's no good throwing our toys out the pram and blaming God. You're blaming God when you were packing the bags for her to go anyway. Really, in your heart, and then you want to blame God because they went. It's so difficult, you know? And it hits home in our hearts. But, do you know what? God loves us. And he loves our wives and our husbands and our parents. And do you know what? What glory there's going to be in heaven in being in each other's company, eternally. Wow. Incredible. So these men were amazing. They didn't back down. We will not worship your God. What a statement of faith. For these men, it was a win-win situation. We either survive because God's grace comes and we get saved, or we die and we go to heaven. It's a win-win. You know, and the apostle Paul said it. He said, "It's better for me to go to the, to be home and present with the Lord, but it's more beneficial for you that I stay longer because he had to raise the early church up. But for him, he wanted to go. Amazing! What revelation he must have had of heaven to be. I'm I'm off. I'm ready to go. If it were me, I'd be the other way. I said, well, delay it a bit. I mean, there's no rush." I'm willing to go to the back of the queue. Ladies first, come on. You know, we're, no one's in a rush. Right? Why? Because there's things we want to do and people we love and this, that and the other and maybe it's a bit uncertain. And, do you know what I mean? We, we sit in that place. But these men were so convinced by God. They were uncompromising. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and his attitude towards them changed. An offence came in and his attitude changed. And so often we get offended by things and then our attitude with that person changes. Often we withdraw our love from someone because you're upset with them or you don't get on with them. So you don't love them like you love other people or once or like you once did. He ordered that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than normal. I mean, that's a bit OTT, isn't it? You know, <laughs> calm yourself down. It's hot enough already. And he's so ticked off. He said, I don't care. Seven times hotter. Barbecue tonight. And he ordered it be done seven times hotter and commanded that some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and to throw them in the blazing fire so these men, wearing their robes, their trousers, turbans and other clothes, were bound, tied up, and thrown into the blazing fire. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men were firmly tied and fell into the fiery furnace. So he's, he's ranked it up so much, it's so hot, that his own soldiers, and they were the strongest soldiers, they weren't like me, eight stone weakling, well, ten stone weakling, uh, they weren't like me. I mean, these were like Chris and Liam and Ricky, you know, big guys, strong guys. And he's, he's turned it up so hot that these men 
are burnt alive before they can get his own, he's willing to cut his nose off to spite his face. He's so angry in his fury, he doesn't care about his own people. He is in a blind rage and he goes completely overboard, causing the death of his own soldiers, which is what irony. Fits of rage are typical when we get egg on our face. Embarrassment, frustration. I don't know where men tend to have DIY rage. Do-it-yourself rage. Do you know? I've, there's some stuff I've tried to build over the years. And I don't know why IKEA do it on purpose. They never give you enough screws. Or they drill the thing in the wrong place on purpose. I think they look, they say, look, Matthew's ordered that, Get, give me that drill, give me that, ha <laughs> ha, that'll annoy him. And you can't put the thing together. Or you're left over with half a dozen bits. And you're like, I've got all these extra bits, I don't know where they go. DIY rage, a friend of mine, his name was Adrian, lovely Christian man, uh, computer science and all of that sort of thing he was into. And he phoned me up one day, he said, can you come down, down my house and bring some glue and your tool set. I said, why? He said, I've been trying to put furniture together and it's not gone very well. I said, okay, no problem. So I go down to his house, I go into his bedroom and the place is smashed up. There's all this flat packed furniture, it's smashed to bits. I said, what, Adrian, what happened? What's gone on? He said, oh, I couldn't take it no more. He said, this stupid wardrobe door, I've been trying to fit it for about two hours, it won't fit. And I lost my temper and I got fed up and I just took the hammer, I've smashed up the bedside table, I've smashed up the chest of drawers, I've kicked it all in, I've kicked the door. I said, well, what, what door wouldn't fit where? He said, that door won't go on that. I went, hang on a minute. Put it up the right way. He went, oh, God. And in his rage, he'd ruined all his own furniture. Let the guy out and buy it again. And sometimes we can do that ourselves. We can cut our nose off to spoil our face. You know, to spite our face. Somebody's offended you. Well, I'm not going to talk to them now because you feel offended by them. Do you know what? Most people who offend you don't even know that they offended you. <laughs> they didn't even realise. People have come up to me before and say, I feel offended by you. I say, oh, congratulations. I didn't even mean to do it. I must be getting good. I literally didn't mean to offend them, but I had offended them in some way, shape or form. You know? But I'm not going to lose the relationship over it. People are important. Relationships are important. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth one looks like the Son of God. Wonderful. Brilliant. The first thing he notices is there's an extra man in the furnace. That catches his eye. It's the first thing he sees. Who is it? It's Jesus. Jesus is in the furnace with these men. And not only is he in it, he's talking with them and they're all unbound and he looks like the son of a God. 
The king's initial amazement isn't in actual fact that somehow Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are still alive. The furnace is seven times hotter. The soldiers who took them to it have all died because it's so hot. These guys are walking around as normal, but Jesus catches his attention. Nebuchadnezzar tells us who the fourth person is. It's literally the Son of God with them in their worst trial. We don't know if Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego knew that it was Jesus, but Jesus was with them in the trial. And sometimes we are aware of Jesus' presence in our trial. But nonetheless... Sometimes we're aware of it and sometimes we're not aware of it. But whether you're aware of it or not aware of it, he's there. He doesn't change it. He's omnipresent. Amen? He's everywhere, all the time, all at once. Wonderful. See, often we see God coming to the rescue for us. And we pray, oh Lord, get me out of trouble. Oh Lord, get me through this operation. Oh Lord, get me... And it's almost like we're saying, Lord, come in at my point of trouble. But he's bigger than that. Before you got to the point of trouble, he was already with you. When your first toe went into that point of problem, he was with you. He was walking aside you. He didn't abandon you. Even in your sin, he walks with you. He's not embarrassed. He's not ashamed. He's not impressed, but he's not embarrassed. He's not ashamed. Because he has already dealt with your sin. And he said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And if he abandoned us every time he sin- we sinned, it had Three weeks off at Christmas alone. He'd never be here. Why could we fall short? Every day we fall short of the God's best. So if he abandoned us when we sinned, he'd never be with us. Steve wouldn't have know. Tottenham supporter. Jesus said, well, he's done for, he is. Oh, I'm off. Yeah. Especially with Harry Kane as well. I mean, what? No, we'll leave it there. But he's not just with you in the tragedy. He's been with you all the time. He's with you in your great moments. He's with you in your dark moments. He's with you in the in-between times. He doesn't just turn up as a superhero to save the day and then clear off once you're out of danger. He's with you all the time by his Holy Spirit. He said, I've been filled you. I'm with you 24-7. The difference is we just notice him more when we're in trouble. And it's a bit like children. When children are at a park with their parents, or monkey bees, or wherever you take your kids, the kids just go running off, and their parents disappear into oblivion. They don't even have parents. Because it's so much fun being at this place, and it's really good, and it's really fun, and they're going mad and everything. But then suddenly, something happens. There's a rumble in the tummy. I want food. I want food. Mum and Daddy. And suddenly they remember, where's Mummy and Daddy? Oh, 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 I want food. They don't love you any less than what they did when they were on the trampoline. You're just not needed. And then they get their chips and their pancakes and their chocolate bar and whatever, and they're off again. Disappeared. Yeah? But all of a sudden they fall over, they fall off, off of the climbing frame because they weren't obeying the rules, or their little brother shoves them off and says, oh, poor Johnny. Yeah. Poor Johnny. And then, and then what happens? Immediately, where's mummy and daddy? I've got a sore on my knee. And immediately they want mum and daddy all the time. 
Suddenly they were aware of mommy and daddy's presence because they're in pain. Well, it's the same thing with God. He's there all the time, wearing monkey biz like humans. Human monkey biz, playing around, living life, doing our thing. But every now and then when we're hungry or we hurt ourselves or we need something, oh, we remember mummy and daddy are here as well. We remember God is here. But God was there the whole time. That child was never abandoned in monkey biz. Well, not normally. The parents are there the whole time. They're just sitting back watching. God is there the whole time. With, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, it's not like he just turns up as Superman. They were so confident, they said, if God saves us, he saves us. If he don't, he don't. He's no less God. He's, he's everywhere. He's our God. And we trust him. Wow, what wonderful love for God and trust in God to be like that. I think it's fantastic. And when Jesus is there, their bonds are burnt off. The first thing to go, the first thing to go in the presence of Jesus, we're not prisoners. And in his presence, we're free. Hallelujah. You're free to be you. And people might turn and say, yeah, but people might think I'm a bit quirky. Of course Jackie's quirky. She wouldn't be Jackie if she weren't quirky. Look at what she's wearing on her head. She's Jackie, she's quirky, and we love her. Yes. Why? Because she's our Jackie. Yes. Amen? And we love her. Wonderful. And we're all a bit quirky. Even the Bible says you're a peculiar people. Come on. I mean, she's enough to make you believe there are fairies. She is. Because she's away with the fairies half the time. Bless her. No, she's lovely. And, but she's ours. We love each other. And we belong to God. And it doesn't matter if somebody's a bit quirky. It's fine. We don't have to be this, that or the other. God loves us. And he loves us being different. Imagine if we were all the same. Imagine if you lot were all me. Oh, that'd be worrying. Be crazy. So Nebuchadnezzar approaches the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouts, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Oh, it's all different there. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Servants of the Most High God. Oh, you've changed your tune now. Oh, suddenly we're the servants of the Most High God. We weren't before, were we? Oh, it all changes. You wait till Judgment Day and then books open. I'm a friend of Emma. Carl and Emma, I worked with her for you. Well, I'm sorry, mate. You should have listened to her while you had the chance. Come out. Come here. Totally different attitude. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the royal advisors, all crowded around them. They saw that they had not been harmed, their bodies had not been harmed, nor was a hair, a single hair of their head. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Wow. Wow. Not even the smell of fire? Nothing? No. Nothing. Not a hair. Do you know what? God's the same for you. In his sight, you are 100% righteous all the time. You don't smell of sin, you don't smell of a bad attitude, you don't look like it, nothing. You have been made perfectly righteous in Christ Jesus. 
and we look at ourselves as guilty, horrible, weak, foul, bleh, God doesn't, that's not the person God sees. He sees redeemed, restored, fantastic, just as I want you to be for eternity. And you need to start seeing yourself the way God sees you, instead of seeing yourself as imperfect. Yes, we're imperfect, but Jesus was perfect. And the perfect has made the imperfect perfect. I'm perfect in Christ Jesus. Do I behave perfect? No. But because of my sin, Christ died and he has covered my sin and I've been made perfect and washed clean and I don't even smell of sin anymore. Like them men didn't even smell like they'd been in the fire. Wonderful. Brilliant. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who sent his angel to rescue his servants. So rescue his servants, not rescue strangers, not rescue people who don't believe in him, to rescue his servants, people that he knew. You know? And sometimes we pray for non-believers and we should pray for non-believers, absolutely. But they're not God's people yet. Okay, and sometimes their lives are going skew with and you want to sort it out for them, but the most important thing you can do is lead them to Christ or back to Christ. Instead of trying to solve all their problems, because they just move from one problem to another problem to another problem to another problem. If you can get them to move to Christ, you'll solve half of their problems in one shot. Amen? They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than worship and accept any god other than their own. Therefore, a decree, I decree that the people of any nation, language, who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach or Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses turned to piles of rubble. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, don't ever do things by half. The furnace has got to be seven times hotter, and now if anyone offends the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going to be chopped into pieces, their houses burned to rubble. You know, it's just like all or nothing. For no other god can save in this way. No god. There is no other god. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Hang on a minute, what? They got a promotion. They were defying the king. They were rebelling against all what was going on. They were worshipping a god that they were told not to and for the end, and threatened with death, faced death and at the end of it they get a promotion. Stand your ground, a promotion might be coming. Stand your ground. A promotion might be on the way. Don't give in. Don't falter. Stand up and say, no, I'm going to be counted. Stand your ground. You might miss your promotion otherwise. So they end up being promoted. Isaiah 43 verse 1. Isaiah 43 verse 1. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name and you are mine. 
When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Amen? See, maybe they knew a scripture or two that they had in their back pocket and went, hang on a minute, don't worry about the furnace because according to Isaiah, he reckoned that God would turn... And do you know what? They actually believed this stuff. Called faith. 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 Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were just ordinary men. They weren't supermen, they weren't heroes, they weren't a David, they weren't a Noah. They were, they were uh, administrators. That's what they were. They were just simple people. And sometimes we think God can only do it for the superstars. Only Benny Hinn can heal. Only this one can do it. What a load of old rubbish. Mara had that operation just over a month ago. She's had swelling on the side of her head. And she tells me to fill it, and it's like a sponge. And it's meant to go between five and ten days, all the swelling should go. So we've been having to phone King's College Hospital because of the swelling. Because if that liquid is infected or anything else, it can be extremely dangerous. The other day, we're laying in bed, she's fast asleep. <laughs> so I thought, do you know what? While she's fast asleep, I'm going to pray about this blimmin' fluid. I laid my hands on the back of her head. I began to intercede and pray. The next morning, she gets up, all the fluid's gone. Amen? See, sometimes we've got to move in the authority we've got. I don't want to drive to London, go King's College again. It's quicker to pray for her. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> Come on. I mean, I'm not trying to be selfish or anything, but let's just, you know, cut a few corners when we're allowed. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were ordinary men, just like us. They weren't mighty heroes. They had displayed no epic feats of faith. They simply just trusted God and God accomplished the salvation of these three men. Isn't it amazing in their trial that they didn't carry a spirit of despair? Falling to despair. Oh, we're going to die! What's going to happen? What my last will and testament? Do this, do that. Panic. I would be. How about you? I'd be looking for an escape route. Get out of here. But they just stayed calm. They didn't panic. So it's all right. It's all right. Do you know what? Chuck, if our God saves us, he saves us. If he doesn't, he's no less God. That means God can never let you down. It's impossible. God can never let you down. Wonderful. If he saves us, he saves us. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Is no less God. What an awesome God. They simply trusted God. They didn't move into despair. Like the Apostle Paul said, we are not like those who shrink back, which is so often the case. So often things happen. We do shrink back. I shrink back. We, we shrink back. We've got to get into the word and the promises of God and shake ourselves down and say, now hang on a minute. Just like Jesus said to Satan, it is written. Hang on a minute. There's a clause in here somewhere that says, I've got eternal life. There's a clause in here somewhere that says, I've not been given a spirit of fear or timidity. 
There's a clause in here somewhere that says I can receive healing. There's a clause in this book of the law that says, and that's what we need to do. You need to say, hang on a minute, let's go to the book of the law. Let's go to the law of Christ. What does it say about my situation? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we just thank you and praise you, Lord. I thank you for them three men. Lord, I thank you for the example of uh, unwavering love, that they just loved you with all that they were. They loved you unconditionally. Whether you saved them or not, they loved you. Lord, help us be like that, to to have that determination. We're going to love you and honour you, whether it's a good day or bad day. We're going to honour you. We're going to stand up for what we believe. We're going to do what's right by you. We want to be your reflection. Father, I thank you for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. I thank you that you took ordinarily men and you manifested something fantastic through them, your grace and your love. And not only did it affect them, but it affected the lives of so many other Jews in the province. Otherwise, they would have all been wiped out. And yet, through these three men, oh, let that be our portion. Let that be our heart, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.